Hi friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish, and today we are going to do a deep dive into the Kobold Press campaign adventure called Empire of the Ghouls. I have talked about that I don't I can spotlight adventures, but I don't really feel like I can review an adventure until I've actually fully run it. And while I haven't fully run Empire of the Ghouls, I am really, really close. I'm with it, like within three or four sessions of finishing this campaign, and I've been running it for more than a year. So I feel like I do have enough material and evidence and experiences to be able to share some of that with you about this adventure. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to a dedicated Discord server, a monthly Q&A, the City of Arches sourcebook, lots of different stuff you get for becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. It's a really good deal. And most of all, you help me put on shows like this. To the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for your support. So right up front, I want to just bottom line up front, tell you what's going on. This adventure is awesome. I really, really, really like it. I had, I had talked previously about Scarlet Citadel. I was not crazy about Scarlet Citadel. Empire of the Ghouls, I really, really like. I've run it now for, I think it's about 14 months that we've been playing weekly in Empire of the Ghouls. Really long campaign, and I've greatly enjoyed it. Some of the things I've really enjoyed, some of the reasons why I, why I say that, is it is a really great adventure that takes you throughout Midgard. It actually takes the middle of Midgard. So this is like the Midgard world map. It's huge, right? It's a very, very big map. But this adventure takes you from the middle of Midgard all the way to the far north, like 3,000 miles to the north, and then all the way down south, and then underneath into the into the underworld. It doesn't head off to the east or the west, so you don't get like the western waste and you don't get the, dra the dragon empires and stuff on the east. But basically like a third of the world in a big column in the middle, this adventure covers all of it. If you think about Wizards of the Coast adventures like Storm King's Thunder, this one is very much like a Storm King's Thunder or a Horde of the Dragon Queen Rise of Tiamat style adventure. You're doing a lot of travel. You're covering a big area. You get to learn a lot about a lot of different places. So what I really liked about this was as a primer for Midgard, as a way to kind of get your players to experience Midgard, this adventure is just fantastic at it. You would think it's like mostly underground and you're fighting a lot of undead. That's actually only one part of the book. A big part of the book is sort of dealing with the, 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 the politics and with the wars that are going on as the undead are beginning to grow in this large column. And again... You're from the far northern reaches, which have sort of a Norse theme, all the way to the southern reaches, which have sort of an African theme. And of course, the central area, which covers areas like Zobek and the Dwarven Cantons and the, the northern cities, all different kinds of stuff. So you really, it's, it's like a, you know, it's like an atlas adventure where you get to cover so much material in the world so my players really resonated with that they loved midgard they loved seeing as much as they saw it worked out really well that's the strongest thing about empire of the ghouls that i can recommend the second big thing that i would recommend is sort of the the benchmark that i use for whether an adventure is good or not and that benchmark is how much work do i have to do to make this adventure work. If I have to do a lot of work, I don't think it's a great adventure. If 
I do a lot of work, but it was work that I enjoyed doing that didn't fix things, but more expanded it out, focusing on characters, building on subplots that had come up during the game, you know, replacing things just because I felt like it, not because I felt like I had to, but just because, hey, I, I have an idea that I think I'd like to try better. The more an adventure supports that kind of modification, the better it is. That isn't to say that Empire of the Ghouls is without, a, without flaws. It does have some flaws. It has one really big flaw that I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to talk about how to deal with it. And then it's got some things that are worth considering, more so than, more so than direct flaws. But up front, it's a fantastic adventure. If you're going to run it, it's totally worth picking up. Even if you're not going to run it, but you want to just kind of experience what it's got, there are lots of different times where things are on sale. You can pick it up in, in bundles and other things like that. But it is really, really good. And I would, I, I highly recommend this adventure. That's the number one point is that I think it's really good. And I, I, I really want to dig into that. So I also want to give like my top tips for running this. If you were going to run it or you're thinking about running it or you're going to run it, here are some things some, that I personally experienced while running this adventure that I think may be useful to you. Number one, and this is the big problem. There is so much travel. You are traveling like crazy. Not every chapter has it. Chapter one is actually pretty solid. Without a lot of travel, you're just hanging out in Zobek doing crazy things in Zobek. Chapter two is like 3,000 miles of travel. You're going all over the place. You're on the road for weeks. There's one section near the end of the adventure after you've done all this travel where in order to follow through in the adventure, you have to go south for like 1,100 miles, do a thing, and then go back north along the path that you took to go south. There's a ton of travel in this. And dealing with that travel, figuring out how to say like, yeah, I want to have, I want to recognize the fact that there's all this travel in this game and that there's travel during this story. But I don't want to just bombard my players with constant, you know, travel montage stuff or hex crawling or however you want to handle your travel. And so much of it that you're going to, it could get stale. It could get boring. Whatever method you use to handle travel could get stale because you have to use it so often because there's so much travel. The travel is really, to me, the biggest issue uh, that I ran into. And there's, a, like I said, there's a bunch of different ways that you can handle it. You could just do travel montages. Just say for the next three weeks, you have an uneventful journey as you travel from Zobek to the Dwarven Cantons. You could do that, right? You could also have like midpoint encounters. I really, I did this and that worked really well, which is like, I would find cities that they were traveling through or areas that they were traveling through. And I would drop an encounter in that scene that where they would meet some NPCs, they would maybe go off on a little side quest. And you could always have things like kobolds would come running up to them and say, hey, please help. One of our minds collapsed and we need your help. The characters go to help and they find out that there's like an old dwarven war machine that's gone crazy. And that's why the mind collapsed and they have to beat the war machine. That was a fun one. One that I really enjoyed, which we, we think about and still talk about more than a year after we did it, was when they were traveling to the city of Alt or the small town of Altbeck and, and in the Midgard world book. By the way, I got to get to one point about how this book ties together many of the other larger source books of Cobalt Press, and it's worth picking those up as well if you're going to run a big campaign in this, but we'll get to that in a minute. In the Midgard World book, they describe Altbeck and the small town of Altbeck, the crossroads in Zobek, blah, 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 and they say its large shrine to, uh, to Rava also contains a particular gear altar for Valund. Many Altbeckers believe the two gods are part of a divine marriage, a belief considered mildly offensive and heretical to both Zobek and the Temple Forge. I hung on to that idea that the dwarves of the cantons felt like that was really heretical. So when the characters were 
were traveling near Altbeck. They hadn't gotten to the town yet. They saw a rich dwarf merchant and his mercenaries accosting a priest of Rava, who was like, I don't know why you're beating me up. Of course, Ra- why can't Rava and Volund be married? Why? And they're like, oh, stop saying that. Her heresy. Right. And he's like, why? And the characters got involved and they're like, you know, is it going to be a fight? Are they going to try to calm things down? Are they just going to sit back and watch? Like, what's going to happen? And the priest, you know, they, they kept like siding with the priest. Like, don't accost this priest just because he believes this thing. And they're like, but it's heresy. And they're like, maybe you should just stop talking about it. And he's like, I don't know why it's so bad that Rava and Valund are married. And they go, ah, and they're like, please just shut up. Stop. You're just antagonizing now. And he's like, I'm not trying to antagonize. I'm just saying that when two gods love each other very much. Ah, right. And it was this really kind of fun scene. The characters got involved. Eventually, the characters, I think, bought off the mercenaries. And said, I think they fought some of the mercenaries and did knock them out and then bought them off and then said, like, just don't deal with this dude anymore. And then the dwarf went away in a huff. And it was really a fun encounter, but it was a neat way to kind of show a little bit of the lore of the area. So and the players remembered it, right? The players remember that one scene. So you can drop these scenes into the travel as the characters are are going through. And that that can work, you know, that can work pretty well. There are other ways to shorten the travel in this chapter and particularly chapter two was the big one that was the that was the worst offender of the massive amounts of travel but there is a lot of travel in many of the chapters of the book and there's lots of different ways to handle them so of course you can do you can do your standard kind of handling travel but the problem is there's so much of it it could take a long time midpoint encounters works really well but then there's a few ways to speed things up one is the shadow roads so the shadow roads are these old roads that the elves put in place along the ley lines, but they actually can kind of, you know, condense travel between areas by sort of going to the Feywild or going to the, the, the realm of shadow and then dealing with that. That's a fun one to do. That became sort of a staple in the group and everybody made fun of it because everybody said, oh, you should take the shadow roads. It's totally safe. And then they'd get like attacked by things every time they went there. You could use red portals, which are these magical portals that were created. There are actual portals. In my version, I said that they actually travel to entire other planes of existence and you kind of don't know what plane you're going to, but it's a shorter distance, but it could be more dangerous. And then the one that my players loved are cat slides. And this was mostly for going to the south that cats have secret ways that they can sort of slide through to go from one place to another. So a cat in Zobek can show up in the uh, city of Perbastet by crawling through a little hole in the wall. We had a lot of fun with that in the latter half of the game, particularly, I think, in the later chapters. And I'll talk about that. But cat slides are another fun one. And then one that I recommend is, in some cases, you can just shrink the geography and nobody will care. For example, I mentioned that there was a section near the end of chapter two where there's this huge journey where you go all the way down south and then you go all the way back north. And that one is Jost. So you, 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 you travel all the way up to Jost and then you have to go all the way down south quite a ways to to Yarrowsburg, right? So you go all the way from Joss to Yarrowsburg. There's a neat little distance of like how far it goes. So it's 330 miles, right? And if you do, so that's that's like 15 days of travel if you do the fastest travel run. And then you go there and you do your stuff and then it's 330 miles back. You're like, oh my God, I got to travel 600, you know, 700 miles for basically one quest at the end of a chapter. And I just shrunk it. And I just said that you know, it was a few days. It was just a few days travel. It wasn't weeks and weeks and weeks of travel. I just went and just, just, just you know, scooched it up. 
and that worked well so not only can you use these sort of like ways for the characters to travel like portals and cat slides and shadow roads and then there are other techniques that you would do like in montages and everything else but you can also just shrink the geography down just move things a little closer and say it doesn't take and most of the time the players are not sitting there with a protractor saying like wait a minute shouldn't have it taken like this many weeks like if you put the map out they're not even looking at the scale so that was my trick and that actually that that worked that worked pretty well so but that was the real big issue is dealing with travel another thing these are you know boy it's taking me forever to get through my big points so something else to consider when you're running this one is that there are definitely some dark and potentially disturbing topics that come up in this adventure that you want to pay attention to. It came up right away in chapter one where there's this kind of like non-consensual BDSM stuff kind of going on. And like nobody, you know, it wasn't so much an issue of like, oh, if I say this, people are going to be either very offended or very uncomfortable with the game and not want to play it. But in some cases, like when you bring up topics like this, you could have a group that grabs onto it and spirals down into like adolescent humor with it because they're using that to kind of just make fun of the weird situation that's occurred with the group. So I actually removed all of the like the non-consensual BDSM kind of stuff and just had drugs. They were just on drugs, right? That I had a whole thing that the the ghouls and you know the ghouls in partnership with the priestess of Marina were using drugs to like using weird mushrooms that they were growing underneath to drug council members so they could steer votes and they were sacrificing people. I don't know why it's it's totally cool to sacrifice people, but BDSM that's out of that's out of line. Anyway, there are times where you're going to look at this and say, hey, that that might be an uncomfortable topic. How do we how do we want to handle that? Some other things where that are pretty prominent. some of them are more prominent than others. A big one is like ghouls. Ghouls are going to eat people. So, and there's an empire of the ghouls. So when you have like an entire civilization and an intelligent civilization built on eating people, that can get really grim pretty fast. So I had only a couple of places where we made it clear, like, you know, the ghouls have a whole machine for eating people. They are capturing folks. They are enslaving folks. They are bringing them to places. They are slaughtering them. Yeah. And it gets grosser and grosser. So, but you just, you know, in my case, I veiled it, right? I would say like, you're you're in a great big, terrible pit and it's filled with awful stuff. I didn't have to describe the details of like, what is the awful stuff? So that there's, there's things like that. There's slavery, you know, issues of slavery. One of the things I'm not crazy about with Midgard in general is they have sort of, you know, good guy slavers, which I think is not possible. Like, you know, I don't I don't I don't like that at all. So they have dwarves who have captured other humanoids and put them to work. And then maybe sometimes they're freed on. There's like a day where like, hey, you're free. It's like, that's not great. Right. And I know like it can be a staple in D&D. Wolfgar is famously a slave of Brunor. Right. But I think we've learned something since then. And in my case, I just said the dwarves have long ago left that. They still know that they did it. It still comes up. And actually the Reaver dwarves in chapter three, I think, were examples of people who had still been doing that, but they were clearly bad guys. So that's something that you might want to handle. It's it's a, not so much an issue in Empire of the Ghouls, but it's an issue in Midgard in general. And since Empire of the Ghouls is traveling all the way through Midgard, you want to kind of deal with that. So that that can be that can be an issue. So you want to check your lines and veils and your and your safety tools. You want to talk about what the some of the themes of the campaign are going to be. You want to and change the stuff you don't like. Right. It's, it's really a big one. The last couple of chapters are really heavy on downward beats. Like the minute you go into the underworld, there's not a lot of nice people down there and there's not a lot of nice things going on. 
And this is one where Empire of the Ghouls could have learned something from Out of the Abyss, where Out of the Abyss managed to kind of turn it into a fairy tale and add a lot of places that were interesting, but not just grim. I think that we have to add some of that stuff into the last couple of chapters of Empire of the Ghouls, particularly like when you get into the dealing with the empire themselves so find nice guy groups find nice places that the characters can see you know like there's there's a whole section where the darrow are there and you could deal with like the darrow are mad and i was like ah a madness is a whole thing on its own how about the darrow actually see the world differently and the way they see it they can kind of create it that way so they're almost a little bit like kyotoa that they can alter the world around them through their second sight so i did a whole thing with that so that the players could kind of see through the eyes of the darrow and recognize other worlds and that was how they actually accomplished that main mission in that in that second to last chapter you want to make sure to focus on upward beats. You want to make sure to give the characters places that they can go to that are let them and the players sort of relax from the constant strife of you're in the middle of hell with no soul and and dealing with ghouls all the time who love eating people. Now, with any big adventure, you're going to want to change things. And to me, a good adventure is one where it's easier for me to change things than when I have to change things. Examples are Descent into Avernus and Rime of the Frostmaiden are two adventures that I've talked about where both of them required me to do a significant amount of work to get the adventure into a state where I felt like I wanted to run at the table. I did not feel like that with Empire of the Ghouls, but I did change a lot. And there are lots of opportunities for you to change it, and you should take those opportunities. Tie storylines to the characters, like we'll tie it to their backgrounds, add new NPCs, change NPCs, change storylines based on things that the characters are doing. That's a big one. You can change out locations you don't like. You can change out storylines you don't like, plots you don't like. You can add your own subplots. I added a whole bunch of other things to this game because I thought it was fun and I wanted to explore more Midgard. That's why it took 14 months and they're only level 10. That is a lot going on and there's a lot of opportunity for you to expand on it. And this is a good adventure to expand on it. Now it's worth telling your players, hey, you're not going to be just driving hard to the end of this campaign. There's going to be some time for you to explore. There's opportunities for you to see what's going on in the world. There's going to be other adventures and you should feel free to take those opportunities. And my players did and we had a really good time. So feel free to add a lot of stuff. Cobalt Press has an extensive library of products that talk about the world of Midgard. The biggest one is, of course, the Midgard World Book, which I've been recommending all the time. I think it's a fantastic source book. It's packed with stuff. You could run campaigns there for decades. It's really, really cool. If you're going to run Empire of the Ghouls, I think it's worth you picking up the Midgard World Book because there, it, you have then you have an adventure that's tying locations together and an atlas that you can use to really dig into all those locations and figure out what's going on that works really well something that came out while i was running it is unfortunately it, it ran out after i it came out after i left zobek is zobek the clockwork city i did manage to bring some of that stuff in when the characters came back to zobek but there's a whole book about zobek it actually combines a whole bunch of different zobek material that cobalt press has been doing for some time i highly recommend it and i would i would pick up that book as well again you can kind of pick up the pdfs of these for pretty reasonable prices and this is one of those like oh my god mike you're recommending like six other books and the book itself is expensive this is hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of material you're talking about. But when you think about how long you may be running this campaign, I think it's probably still worthwhile. I think you can really expand it. Now you can pick up, and these are kind of in the order that I would that I would probably pick them up. That there's a lot of different products that you can pick up, and you can decide how many. But the world book. If, if you're only going to get one, the world book is the one to get. If you're going to get two, then Zobek, I think, would be the second one. And then three would be the Southlands. But you're going to get a lot of value out of these books if you're running a campaign, if you're running a campaign in this world. So the Midgard world book, I'd recommend. Zobek Clockwork City, I'd recommend. The Southlands, I would recommend. There's also a adventure book with the Southlands called The City of Cats. 
You can pick that up if you want. There's a whole bunch of different adventures. Again, if you want to expand the world and let them run. I didn't use anything directly from City of Cats, but I did spend a lot of time in the city of Perbastet. I'll, I'll talk about that when we go through the chapter by chapter stuff. But it was really fun. And I got a lot of value out of the Southlands book and the City of Cats book by, or mostly out of the Southlands book, by filling out that location. Ebon Tides is a little harder for me to fill in, but it definitely gives you the atmosphere of what's going on in the Shadow Roads. It talks about the gods of the Shadow Roads. It talks about how it works. It doesn't really give you a map and anything like that and it doesn't talk about the roads themselves that much it doesn't offer a lot for dealing with the roads that said i was able to get material out of it that i used anytime the characters would jump to the shadow roads to sort of shortcut from one place to the other the idea that there are whole other plots going on inside the shadow roads was really kind of neat and cool and there were big shifts of political power happening in the shadow roads that the characters got involved with just because they happened to be wandering through at a particular moment that was really neat they had killed a group of evil tomb raiders got an artifact and then one of the like the 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 queen of the witches demanded the artifact from them and then used it against like the queen of night and magic's most prominent supporter and so they were changing politics because of this one item that they had given around it was really kind of really really fun all of these books and and cobalt press has a bunch of different sort of layers books they there was a underworld layers for empire of the ghouls there's various layer books for like southlands and everything else those can give you short adventures and i used a few of these short adventures that you can run in midgard in different different places i think the original like book of layers that came out with tome beast one that definitely had some layers that that you can use in this so Cobalt Press has tons of material to support this campaign. And then, of course, you have the Warlock Grimoires, which are three books that contain a lot of individual zine articles about filling out Midgard. You could dig into those, too. I didn't use those quite as much, but there's a lot of material there. And then, of course, I'm not even getting to like all the monster books. I used all four of the various Cobalt Press monster books, including Tomo Beast 1, 2, and 3 and the Creature Codex. I used a lot of material from that to really make Midgard feel different. So, I mean... I must have used 10 different books when I ran this campaign, but it was so great because I, I mean, I already own these books, right? Luckily, luckily for me, I already, I already bought them all. So I could really squeeze value out of these. And now I really feel like I did. And that was great. Again, I would, in, in order of preference, definitely pick up the Midgard World book if you're going to run this adventure. It is definitely worthwhile. The other ones, you're going to get a lot of value out of them. And if you have the means, it's probably worth picking up, particularly if you're going to run, if you're going to run the adventure. So those are kind of my big tips. Just reiterating, you deal with a lot of travel, check your lines and veils and make sure you're clear about what kind of content is there and, and eliminate content you don't want to portray in your game. Make sure to include some upward beats in the final couple of chapters because it could get pretty grim. Make it your own, build around all the different things that you want and use all of the other library, all the other Cobalt Press books that you can get your hands on to fill out Midgard when you're running this, this adventure. That was really, that's really great. So now we're going to do like a quick chapter by chapter look. I'll just offer a couple of other thoughts and details about what this adventure was like. So we're going to dive right in. So one thing the book has right up front is a big gazetteer of the underworld. It's worth reading the gazetteer at the point where you are actually going to go into the underworld, where you're actually going to have characters there. What's the politics going on in the Empire of the Ghouls? It's really good. And if you're planning on sort of expanding on the adventure itself, you want to deal with some other stuff, you can do so by expanding the by, by reading the gazetteer and kind of building off of that. So it's more than just an adventure itself. It actually has quite a bit, quite a bit of stuff going on. 
So the first adventure takes place completely in Zobek, and it's a really fun way to kind of see this city. The Zobek is really the center of Midgard. It's, it's a very different kind of city. It's got a lot of stuff that's that's very interesting there. And that's where picking up that Zobek book, you could really fill in the details with this. You could run a whole mini campaign just in Zobek and just with this and then kind of expand upon what you're going on. The main story of this adventure is this the first time that you're starting to see evildoers inside Zobek who are beginning to set up an alliance with ghouls in the area and what they're doing. So it's the first time that the characters begin to see that the ghouls are starting to come up out of the empire below and actually get involved in things that are going on the surface. That's sort of the main the main point for it. But you meet a lot of NPCs that are interesting, kobolds that are going on here. One of the things that I wanted to be careful of was the whole concept of a kobold ghetto didn't really sit well with me. So I made the kobold area, the kobold district was a lot more bustling and a lot more things that were going on. But it was really neat. This is also the one that had some weird BDSM stuff, so I changed it all to drugs because I don't know why, but drugs is more reasonable. A lot of fun sort of dungeon delving. I did change, there's a lot of like, going on adventures with this character i shrunk those up and had some main adventures that the characters went on with this this npc that they're following around town that involved more of the storyline and and got them to see things like that there are groups of cultists of marina cultists of the red goddess and ghouls who are harvesting weird drugs i used one of the adventures i wrote for the book of layers that had were rats and rat folk who were harvesting drugs and doing it. So I kind of tied that all together and it worked really well. But it was a very solid chapter. I really enjoyed it. I loved it very much. And I really gave the players a good view of what was going on in Zobek and a lot of fun. Good dungeon delving stuff. A lot of fun fights. Great big final battle. Lots of changing of the politics. I, I, I really I really enjoyed it. One thing to note is if you're playing digitally, there are a lot of good maps. And I think you can pick up these maps for your virtual tabletop of choice from Kobold Press. And it'd probably be worth doing because you're going to get a lot of value out of them if you're running online. I was running in person, so the maps didn't matter as much to me. Holy Robes of Sister Adeline is the next chapter. Really fun chapter. This one probably took, it, it was a huge chapter. It, it goes a long, it goes a long, long way. And this is the one that had all that crazy amount of travel in it. So I kind of made it clear to the players, like this is going to be a long-term quest. And the main quest is that there is an, an artifact that has gone missing that the goddess Rava tells the characters could have a significant impact and influence in their in their game or in their sorry in their adventure and so they want to go get this artifact but then there's a whole lot of like follow the trail of the artifact figure out where it went and this is the one that takes like 1400 miles so you want to throw a bunch of other adventures in here you don't want to constantly have these sort of your princesses in another castle sort of stuff going on you want them to be learning about where it's going and then kind of get to the main take but it was really fun when I ran it I enjoyed it but the big thing that I had to do was make sure to shrink locations down use shadow roads so that they could go from one place to another more quickly and 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 let the players recognize that this chapter was going to take some time but it was definitely a long it was definitely a long chapter took a lot of work but some of my most fun adventures i mean really i had great fun adventures in all of these and one of them i wrote about on sly flourish was about the final big confrontation in this adventure takes place at a big castle that's been overtaken by vampires and ghouls who are beginning to try to figure out how to create Darakul. And that's sort of the big theme of this adventure. It's by those full of spoilers. But the big theme of the adventure is the Empire of the Ghouls is trying to figure out how to make an army of Darakul that they could use. And there's a lot of political machinations that are going on behind the scenes to do so. Well, this adventure is the first one where you start to see that they're working on this. You also get to see that there is a loose alliance between the vampires of Morgoth, King Lucan, 
who's a vampire lord that rules over this area called Krakova, is, is forging a loose alliance with the emperor of the ghouls, and they're building this alliance. And the fun bit is in the next chapter, which is one of my favorites, I guess they're all really, they're all really good, is you get to be personally, the characters get to be involved in shattering that alliance, and that changes things too. So really fun. Jost ended up becoming a pretty big center point city for the characters. In fact, some of the players liked Jost better than Zobek and have said like, yeah, my, I think my plan when I'm done is to come back to come back to Jost and, and spend my time there. But then then you have that big journey to Yarosburg and to the castle. Orzelberg Castle is where like the big final confrontation takes place. And I ran this as a situation. It was filled with bad guys. The characters knew what their goal was and they had to find out how to do it. They came up with a really fun way to do it. They managed to get out. It was chaos in Bedlam, which is pretty par for the course for this group. But, you know, they managed to get what they needed. They got the Holy Robes of Sister Adeline. They lost an ally who had been converted. One of the friends of the characters had been turned into a dark hole and they ran into her later. But they managed to get the item that they needed and went out. And so that worked really well. Then they went back to Jost and then dealt with the political machinations there. So that was a lot of fun. It was a really good conclusion to a great big chapter, but that chapter must have taken us months. Like it took us a long time to get through chapter two. So be prepared for that. It's really fun and you can do a lot, but it takes a long time. The blood marriage chapter three, the whole center idea here is that there is a unholy alliance being forged between the ghouls and the vampires. And it's up to the characters to disrupt this alliance. The alliance is building itself around a ceremonial marriage between a vampire and a ghoul. I think I've talked about this scene before. I'll, I'll mention it here because it was so great. It was one of my favorite scenes I've ever had in any role playing game took place in this this whole chapter takes place in the far north so they go across the sea to the far north they're looking for this ancient unholy temple where this wedding is going to take place i changed a fair bit of that i actually had an idea that the gods had warred here and that the, the land was cracked open and they could see down into the lower realms of hell and the the temple where this was taking place was floating on an earth mode above hell because of a big obelisk, like an unholy obelisk was keeping it in place, which meant if they shatter the obelisk, they know the whole temple will collapse. But they also knew that they needed to kind of get in there and disrupt the marriage. They couldn't just, they couldn't just do it from afar. They had to actually go in again, more travel, but this wasn't quite so bad because you could shrink the things up. You could also show some of the Northern stuff, which was pretty interesting. Again, kind of key scenes that show what's going on, dealing with the dwarven cities that they might not have seen that are the far North dwarven cities. And then the main thing is when they're getting to the temple for the blood marriage is they get to fly on Valkyries, which are like winged wolves of the North and, and the Valkyries took them there. And so that was, that was really fun. So, but the best part of this adventure was the wedding itself. And again, I ran it as a situation. I threw a lot more creatures in it than the book recommended. And I built out kind of a larger array and the players got to decide how they were going to do it. And it just was chaos. And at one point, like, you know, it was just, it was just so awesome. Like the characters are fighting ghouls. One of the players is, one of the characters is throwing ghouls out a big well, one right after the other, because there's so many, they're fireballing. It was just this crazy. And eventually the entire temple collapsed down into hell. The characters are like hanging from a rope, having disrupted the thing, managing to get an ally of theirs who they managed to escape with one of their, with one of their allies who had been trapped there. So it was just a really, really fun situation. And I loved, I loved that scene very much. That was all in that chapter. Again, a big chapter with a lot going on. This whole campaign is a great big campaign. You're going to, if you're going to run, if your players are into it, like this is their version of the temple. I made one that was much bigger than this because I wanted, I wanted a lot more things to kind of go on.
One of the fun bits that I had here was the idea that Chessa, the vampire bride, is actually thinks this is like a real wedding and this is her glorious day and she's very happy. And what's his name? Gorin, Gordon, Gorin Malik, the groom, is not really into it. He knows this is just ceremonial. Well, she ended up like being horrified that her beautiful wedding day got wrecked and he's like, oh, thank God I don't have to do this. And that's actually something that I played into was the idea that it, when they shatter this wedding, that the vampires superstitiously believe that that means it's probably better not to ally with the ghouls and that weakens the ghoul imperium, which is what results in some of the stuff that happened later in the game. So uh, a lot of kind of fun ways that the, the events that the characters get involved with early shape things that go that, that happen later. So then the very next chapter takes place like 6,000 miles to the south that you went from the far, far, far north all the way to like the mid south. And you have to figure out how they're going to get there. Red portals, cat slides. By this time, the characters had ways to teleport. Like one of the wizard, one of the players was a wizard who had like circle of teleportation. So they could just zip right back to Zobek at that point. They didn't have to cover that giant territory. I was like, oh, thank God for that. I think they went to Jost first and then they went back to Zobek. And then they used the cat slides to get to Per Bastet. And then they spent a bunch of time in the south. So that way I was able to very radically remove the travel that took place from the previous chapter to the far north to the far south so i definitely relied heavily on the southlands book for this i used like they went on big sand skiffs through the desert they saw some ancient alien horrors in the desert that they started to fight and they said you know what never mind let's leave and then left and then they they dealt with a few cities per Bastet and sewell being the two main cities that they dealt with here taking material from like the city of cats and from the southlands book for sewell really helped make those places feel like living cities they they, they also went on a bunch of like side quests and side adventures there dealing with the Southern gods and some of the temples of the Southern gods, like Aten, who is this lawful good God that has a version called heretical Aten, who is not. And they got to or sometimes known as true Aten, who is not. So they got to see and witness some of the interesting theological differences of the Southlands from all of the other places that they have been. Again, giving them and reinforcing that Atlas of Midgard that they get to see so much of this world uh, with this adventure. So I use this chapter just as a really great way to show off the Southlands. It was really fun. The idea of dealing with the Ghoul King was also a lot of fun. In this case, it was tied to a major NPC that was part of the background of one of the characters. That was really fun and interesting. And again, you want to do that when you're running it, like find ways to drop in NPCs that matter to the characters, create them, replace them, whatever you want to do. All of that can, all of that can really work. But I had a lot of fun with this chapter. So then you get into the final two chapters, which are both set in the underworld. So after you've done this massive journey from Zobek all the way to the Northlands, all the way to the far north, then all the way to the south, and you get to see everything in this huge, huge region, then eventually you go underground. And when you go underground, you deal with all the things that are going on in the Midgard underworld, which has Duergar, a lot of Darrow going on. Uh, a lot of different ghoul things, a lot of different pieces of the ghoul imperium that they can see, draconic graveyards, all kinds of stuff. And one of the big ones is starting to build alliances against the king. And this is where, or against the group, this is where you really find out what's going on, which is that one particular power player, Duke Moretto, is the one that's trying to figure out how to create an army of Darakul and eventually use it to take over from Emperor Nicophorus. So you have a power play going on inside the empire that the characters can learn about and start to manipulate. Then you have this last king who was a former emperor, your former king before the emperor came into, into power, who also has this angle in here. And so in this one, you're trying to find the last king who you can use to help forge other alliances and build other connections. And this is where the characters can start to figure out, like, how are they going to manipulate this situation to get what they want? And 
as I went into the final chapter, we've actually just started the final chapter of this game. And that's where they're really starting to say like, okay, what is it exactly we're, we're, we're going to want to do here? So the Into the Fulgian Realm is really where they're meeting some of these alliances, dealing with Duer, uh, Darrow, learning about what's going on in the underworld and how it's different than what's going on up above and beginning to learn some of the details of the the Empire and the Imperium. But then the final chapter, they actually go to a place called Vandekul, the Pure City. You can see like undead, giant unteg Atiugs. That was so much fun. We had a lot of a good time with that. In my version, the last king actually existed in a whole different world, that he had a castle in a place called the Deadlands. And in his castle, the characters went to go meet him. They, they, they found a red portal. They traveled through. The red portal only existed in the imaginations of the Darrow. So the characters had to take like a weird drug to switch into their Darrow world, find the red portal and travel through it. That's how come the assassins that were hunting the last king never found him. Then they went to the Citadel. They found him there. They saw a huge Drakulich outside. And they're like, what is, what's that? And then they went inside and they were, he was actually meeting with Vardazane, the ghoul king, the, the god of ghouls right and so they're like oh yeah they have tea on fridays and so that was kind of like really like the last king who's been exiled actually has tea with vartizan and vartizan's like you know i i I, i'm still gonna have tea with him he served me well so that was kind of a fun a fun interaction that i added in but that changed it from what it was in the book again what works in the what's in the book probably works fine but i thought oh i think it'll be more fun if i do something like this same way with the dragon graveyard i was like ah the big maze doesn't really grab me i think i'm just going to replace it with a different kind of map and i just grabbed a dyson map and ran it and it was totally fine so then they go to like the sulfur docks. There was a whole bunch of things. I, I kind of created another situation that there's two boats, a smaller boat and a bigger boat. Which one do they want to take? How do they want to take it? How do they want to use it to get across? Uh, between chapters... And the book kind of assumes that the bigger boat is going to chase the smaller boat. But in my game, they actually took over the bigger boat and they became the phantom. And of course, it, the phantom is actually overtaken by a spiritual phantom of a hero that one of the characters had revered for their whole lives. So it was kind of neat that they got to meet this hero who's now the spirit that's encapsulating and was trapped by this boat. But now the boat serves them. So that worked really well. Then we get into the pure city of Vandekul itself. There's a whole section of they can go to this island called the Chandelier. My players did this. The characters went there. I had a whole kind of fun thing going on at the Chandelier. They were able to get a bunch of this evil or not evil, this anti-ghoul oil. They got barrels of it that they can use as some kind of weapon of mass destruction when they go into Vandekul. So the kind of, there's this cool, like, we don't know exactly. We know we're going there to rescue this one guy and stop them from making Darakul. Blowing up the city might be a nice secondary quest, though. So again, really kind of fun. And in this final chapter, again, I haven't finished it yet, but the way I've set it up is that there's a bunch of NPCs that the characters can interact with in either good ways or bad ways. There are a bunch of NPCs they can kind of turn against one another, a bunch of different ways that they can deal with the situation there. I've been referring to it as a situation of situations where I have a bunch of different locations with all of their things going on. And then the larger situation of how all of these things are inter interwoven. And I expect it's going to take me a couple of months to do this final chapter, but I don't mind because I'm having a really good and the players get to decide how they want to interact with this place. And they're doing it in ways I never would have expected. So the all of the stuff that they had done during the blood marriage, that crazy thing where they destroyed the blood marriage and shattered the relationship between the, the vampires and the ghouls, has become so legendary that it's known in Vandekul. So they're pretending to be a theater troupe who's doing a show about that event. And they all look like those people because they are all pretending to be those people, even though they really are those people. And a couple of people in town have learned that, oh, wait, you 
actually are those people, but their reputation is sort of getting ahead of them and them pretending their, their big idea is like, they're like, we're going to put on a big stage show. We're going to invite the ghouls. We're going to invite the vampires. And then we're going to soak them all in anti ghoul, this, this, this terrible poison for ghouls. And it'll be like the end of Carrie. And like, oh, that's a good plan. Like, we'll see how that play. I like that. It sounds fun. We'll see how that plays out, right? I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. I have no idea how it's going to play out. But it's really fun to watch them navigate that situation uh, that's going on. And we're going to see how it plays out. So I actually don't know how the adventure is going to end. I'm super excited about the fact that I don't know where this is going. To me, that's the most fun I can have in a D&D adventure is when I'm helping set the stage and set the situation and watching the players interact with it and then watching the world react to what they do. And I have no idea how it's going to end. So I'm very excited about that. In conclusion, I think Empire of the Ghouls is an absolutely fantastic adventure. I really enjoy it. It it was a wonderful way to tie together so much stuff from Midgard that I've purchased over the years, that I'd read about, that I kind of understood. I've run a couple of things in Midgard, but not a lot. But now I've run like a good 14-month, maybe longer campaign inside the world of Midgard. I got to use all of these books. I felt like I got a lot of value out of it. I felt like the players got to really experience a lot. I've had many players tell me how much they really enjoyed running a game in Midgard, playing in a game in Midgard and said, you know, I hope we get to do more of this stuff. And it's like, that's what I want. Like, I want people to be so excited for the world that they really get to enjoy it. And I think Empire of the Ghouls definitely did it. So in conclusion, if you are looking for a great big world spanning campaign adventure in a world that you may not be familiar with in a world that your players may not be familiar with, I highly recommend Empire of the Ghouls. I think it's an outstanding product. I think it's a great way to tie together a whole bunch of other Midgard products, a whole bunch of other products that Cobalt Press put together. And it was just a really fun way. And it was a fun way for myself and my friends to get together and share in our stories and build stories together that we're all going to remember for the rest of our lives. I hope you found this video useful. If you did and you want more stuff like this, please consider subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter. It is absolutely free to sign up. You get a free adventure generator for signing up and you get a weekly RPG related email sent directly to your inbox. You can also support me directly on Patreon. I have a very low-priced Patreon. You get a lot of material for it. You get access to a dedicated Discord server, a monthly Q&A, whole bunch of free adventures, a whole bunch, well, not free, marker, a whole bunch of exclusive adventures, the City of Arches Sourcebook, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, and you help me put on shows like this. And you can pick up any of my own books, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, Lazy DM's Workbook, Lazy DM's Companion, Forge of Foes, and all the fantastic books, plus merchandise. Do you want a Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master t-shirt? You can get that on the Sly Flourish bookstore. It's all, all the links for those are in the show notes. Thank you very much. Have a great day and get out there and play an RPG.